30 years. Yeah. 30 years since Incognito first formed, and that was the first record on a double A side with what was it, double A side? Parisian Girl? I think Parisian Girl was the A side. This was the B. This is my A side. Yeah, I know. Summer, <laughs> summer's ended Incognito. It's mine too. Bluey, how are you? Brilliant, mate. <laughs> <laughs> But this is, this is quite um, dramatic, actually, because this is maybe possibly the last um, ever interview in um, Brownswood. Wow. Because, as you know, um, the place is um, about to be um, inhabited by different people. And I'm looking for a space to put all my records and everything. Um, so that's quite um, radical. And the other thing that's quite radical is that the first interview I ever did... That's right. ...was in 
the garden shed of my parents' house in uh, Sutton, Cheam area, Cheam, South yeah. London. And uh, I, I'd, I'd, I had invited a few different people to come um, mm. whose, whose um, fan clubs I was a part of. Yeah. Um, I was a member of the Level 42 fan club. Yeah. I was a member of the <laughs> um, Light of the World fan club. And I was a member of the Incognito fan club. And I'm sure I wrote letters to, um, to, to Mark King. Yeah. And, oh, maybe Freeze, I was in the fan club of theirs. Yeah, yeah. But you were the one who responded. And you came. That's right. All the way from Tottenham. From Tottenham. And your mum gave us tea and biscuits. <laughs> How old was I? I must have been 16 or something. Yeah, you were teen, teenager. Incredible. Yeah. And that was basically on the back of going down to my local record shop and buying a copy of Jazz Funk. So it would have been 1980. Yeah, it would have been 80, yeah. That's right. And you've survived it. <laughs> We've both survived it. <laughs> we we not only survived it, bro. We're still a major part of it. Yeah. You know, we're at this, you know, I feel like I'm at the centre of the musical sphere that I'm, I'm, I'm into, you know. So, and you've got you're a big, definitely above me. A big, so. well, you've got a big, big, big show coming up um, yeah. at the O2, um, O2 Indigo, mm. which is um, basically celebrating 30 years of incognito. So you're going for it, going for it, because the last time you did a big show was at the Forum, and I remember Chris Hill was there. Yeah, and 25th you, anniversary. That was it? the 25th, yeah. right? And this is the 30th. So yeah. what's going to be different between this one and the last one? Well, we've done some more albums since then, <laughs> for a start. And, uh, How much? you know, it's like, and Incognito changes, you know. It's like yeah. the band, you know, the band's been changing. I've got new musicians. I've got, um, and the story, you know, it's like the story keeps on changing. And we've got this audience. I mean, I've just come back from Italy, right, where we did a week in Italy playing places like Lecce and uh, Ischia Island. It's very strange places I've never played to before, amphitheatres and stuff. And, and it's like... 50% are people from back in the Talking Loud days that discovered us then. Italy found us through, you know, the stuff that you released, really, on your on your, on, on Talking Loud. But um, then there's this new audience. Mm. There's these, you know, teenage kids. Mm. So I, I expect the audience will be like this at the uh, at the O2, you know, the, um, the Indigo on the 22nd. There's no bands who are as good as you, mate. That's the thing. I mean, the whole point... Well, I don't mean that in a kind of... Well, I do mean it in a sort of, you know, praise to you way because you deserve it and because you've been doing it for so many years. In a way, let's go back to the beginnings because mm. you were kind of part of Freeze, part of Light of the World. You were mm. part of that, the hub of all of those groups. Yeah. Bring us back to sort of 1979 and uh, the spirit of, of London mm. and um, the movement. I mean, was this a very small scene at the time? It was small, but in a way, kind of this this project, really Incognito, really describes what was going on. Because Tubbs went down to a place, a, a little um, wine bar, to go and have a drink with his girlfriend, and it was called Sour Grapes, you know. And he met Jeff Dunn, you know. And Jeff Dunn, in turn, introduced Tubbs to a guy who he was playing with the next night, which was George Lee, the sa the saxophonist from Africa. And he came down to play on 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 Parisian Girl. You know, I'd gone to a little pub in the East End after finishing a session with, um, I think we'd, we'd been, I'd been rehearsing with a, with a reggae band in, 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 in the East End of London. And I'd, and I'd come out and I'd gone to a pub and I met the guy who played flute on this track. You know, it's like he was sitting there with a flute at the table, Neil Metcalf. So London was one of those places where wherever you went, um, there, there was like musicians and, and there was live music. Mm and jam sessions mm. and you would invite people over this band you know I did, three or four days before we did this we didn't know there was going to be a flute player on this track 
you know, I had this little melody, Tubbs had the bass line, you know, in my bedroom we were practicing it, you know, and I was singing the melody and playing the, the chords on my guitars, which was later, later transferred to, to the Fender Rhodes, you know, so it's like very organic, very, very London scene, you know, fine people t within two days, you know, that you meet along the way and go, yeah, come down to the studio, we're going to do this project invited Peter Hines and, and and G Bello down, you know, to play percussion and keyboards and you know, and just cut it that way, you know. Because the mad thing was, I did a thing recently on the radio, I did a, a Brit Funk special on, on Radio 1, and uh, I just thought it would be nice to sort of listen back to that sound, mm -hmm. and it was great, and I did a, even did a night in a club, we just played only that music mm. and uh, and I was going through all these tunes and a lot of it was sort of between 79, 80, 81, 82 mm -hmm. it was like in that really intense period of time you had a real movement that was crossing over into the charts as well so yeah. you had kind of that was a strange thing you had high tension you had I mean before yeah. that you had groups like Simandi and Gonzalez yeah were they was there a connection between those mid-70s groups and the new lot, or was it part of a jazz-funk movement that was just coming through? We were, def we were definitely from a different movement. Those guys really had the closed doors on those sessions. Because I remember back then trying to get Richard Bailey as my drummer from Gonzales, and he wouldn't come to play with us. Kind of, He was like, you know, he was with the big boys, you know. He was like, yeah, 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 one day come talk to me. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, get your thing together, you know. It was like that, you know. The, the, these bigger boys were kind of like, saying go and get your shit together before you come and play with us right, you know right so we would uh you know we were really for you know we would go up to ronnie scott's upstairs where they had the, the the dance nights and they'd have the live bands and there were bands like ritual which you don't hear now but you know it's like they were relevant bands you know at the time um high tension that's where i first saw high tension playing live you know in there and i thought Oh my goodness! Ever since I saw Earth on a Fire, I hadn't seen a British band try to touch something on those lines, you know, with the horns and the percussion and, and but young kids, you know, it's like not the Gonzales, not the guys that were already so far advanced. They were into the Latin stuff, you know. We hadn't kind of got into the Latin stuff. We were purely holding down the funk stuff. Right. You know, that was the difference. Those boys were bigger. They they were older. They'd learned to play Latin music. You know, they'd kind of progressed in a way. We hadn't. We were still on the funk tip. You know, like a couple of chords dropping down and kind of like little chant you know we never had the singers like they had those boys had the singers kokomo you'd go and see them play they had the singers they were well organized you know we were raw so this is where we came from but then we'd started to listen to some mad little jazz tracks as well that these boys weren't listening to because at that period the jazz uh, stuff had started to kick in you know we'd start to discover this stuff you know the through the fusion through listening the djs we were hanging out with were playing more like lonely liston smith and people like that whereby those boys had been kind of coming through a joe cocker you know the british the funk scene you know like because you know there was like there, there was a real strong strong music scene before us we had to create our own identity tracks like this <laughs>
total legend that is Bluey <laughs> Mornick in the studio, Brownswood Basement special podcast action and uh, a great track from Charlie Rouse waiting on the corner. Mm. I, you know, I, I thought, I'm going to open up your show with, man, it's like... I knew that we would relate to this, both of us, because this is re- this kind of sound was really important to both where we where we headed out, you know. And uh, the tracks we're going to play um, are going to be all chosen by by Bluey. And do you remember the first time you we did do that interview? Do you yeah. remember any songs that you played on that show? Yeah, the one that sticks to mind is Ayato. We played from 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 the album with the flowers in the background. You know, it's like uh, I forgot the track, but it's got that little. That, that little triangle the happy people it's happy people yeah. the happy people of yeah. I'm fine how you I don't, that's right yeah, I, yeah, you yeah. definitely introduced me to Ayeto and I think through that I then heard Celebration Suite and yeah. uh, the rest is history Definitely. With that, <laughs> with, with that particular tune um, how does it feel to still be doing it I mean could you be doing anything else in your in your life have you ever sort of wondered my god this is too much I'm, I've done too many gigs I'm tired of airports and and average hotels on the outskirts of Milan, I want to change. Does that happen to you sometimes? Well, on my journeys, I get to be the other person that I possibly could have been. Working with children, I end up on a plane looking after somebody's kid, you know, because they've travelled, they've been travelling from Australia trying to get to somewhere across in Europe and, and they've they've come through via Asia somewhere and they're tired and they, and they no, no longer can, can keep their eyes open and I take over, you know, I become like, I usually have two or three kids you know, on a flight sitting down and we all kind of like, I've, I get out the, the drawings and, and I entertain kids. I would have been working with children for definitely. Yeah, you're yeah. a definite children magnet because I know that when you come to my place, they love you and they always ask, where, where where's Bluey? Your dad, was, your dad was a poet. Yeah. And he still is a poet. Still is, yeah. So basically, you could have gone into that. I mean, you've always been quite lyrical. Obviously, <sighs> you write lyrics, right? Yeah, but I think I more or less came into it kind of late where did it go wrong for you i mean how come you ended up a musician what, what happened i mean what you know what was going the on the musician thing was like my grandmother and and my grandfather and my one of my uncles really believed in in the dream you know i was five years old it was on on the on plant and the beaches of mauritius and it's the only only place where i discovered music we never had a radio in the house there was no tv you know there and um and my family only sang in church and stuff you know it was only hymns sung around the house and then they took me to the beach one day i remember i was around five years old and i heard sega music you know i heard this this rhythm thing and i wanted to be part of that rhythm i wanted to be part of the music the songs you know it's like and i saw how a man singing a song to a crowd that would just kind of like, you know, lackluster, bringing them to life. And I wanted that job. That's the job I, I applied for, you know, and I asked my grandmother, can I do this? And she turned around to me and she said, yeah, you are. I, I know you are. This is your this is what you're going to do. And she said it in such a way that it, it, you know, it just stuck with me for ever since. You know, that's I knew that's what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life.
never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> that is a that is a new version of Don't Worry About it <laughs> Well, it's not so new. It's 1972 from Peru. <laughs> <laughs> with um, with um, interesting um, chord changes. Oh, I love the chord changes, especially that chord in the chorus. You know, the last chord in the chorus. Ah! Now, that was one of, actually one of the moments that I enjoyed the most um, when, well, there was lots of great moments working at Talking Loud, but well, actually one of the moments that I was really disappointed not to be there was the day that Stevie Wonder turned up at uh, the studio to perform a little bit of um, accordion on this track when you'd recorded it as in no, he, he, you know, he, he played harmonica on the, on the remix of Change. Not accordion, on harmonica, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. On, on the Change on tr- remix, because I had never had a track up. It's the only track I had in the studio. Right. And, he, and he came like, he, he just on the spur of the moment. Yeah. Yeah. That was amazing. I'll be down the studio in a minute. That was amazing. <laughs> Bluey, you've worked with so many and you've motivated and, and inspired so many musicians uh, along the way. I think one of your one of your real important um gifts to the world of music, apart from being this, you know, running this amazing band, is also the fact that you've managed to encourage so many musicians over the years. I mean, do you feel that that's quite a an important part of you. I mean, you were saying that you've always, if you weren't working in music, you'd be working with children. In a way, you, with musicians, you are working with children, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, so, I mean, especially, is, is especially that... if you saw the band I got right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> but, but is that, you know, how... At this moment, I should, I should, I should say the name Pete Ray Begin, just in case he listens, our new drummer. <laughs> But is that important to you? Obviously, that whole of course, you, yeah. Of course, it's um, you know, sometimes in a way I may even like kind of lost sight of 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 my own my own direction with like you know it was hard being being a family man when you were trying to kind of get all this together you know and it's like and I'm finding myself at a later stage in in life but I've always known that I wanted to do something with music that was more than just go up and play you know because I I go and play is my own selfish kind of thing you know but I wanted to kind of share it with people you know I've, that's the band that I had I remember being in light of the world and they were so like you know they were a team you know and it was us against every other band it was like war you know if we were on the same bill as somebody else if the talking the changes was almost like we're gonna like tear their heads off you know and it was like it was like a gang ready to yeah. go into a fight mm. and i was always a bit older than the rest of the guys you know i mean tubbs was 14 when he joined the band do you know what i mean so when he formed formed the band i met him when he was like 15 they'd been kind of like putting this idea together and uh by the time I, I left the band, it was ma- one of the reasons were, you know, uh, of course, Chris Etienne passed in the accident, percussionist that was with us, and it made me take a step, you know, into like what looking at my life. And I wanted to play with all these other guys in other bands, guys from Gonzales, you know, guys from uh, uh, High Tension, you know, people like, like Ray Carlos that I'd seen on the scene, jazz, jazz funk scene in, in the UK. You know, I wanted to work with different people. So um, I... You know, the reason why Tubbs and I did this project was Tubbs was going to stay in light of the world and I was going to be on uh, it kind of guiding this project and looking after this project you know whilst we were still in other bands you know so you know at that point I, you know, I was ready to kind of give an opening to various ideas and I mean, that's you've, what... and you've also worked with a whole heap of singers mm. i mean that's another one of your i think i mean i've seen you at work in the studio and there's playing and there's being in a band and controlling a band and, and developing a band but there's also producing a band mm. and that's always been the thing that you know in the studio and i've always thought that your ability to get the best out of people 
is is a real one of your real strengths i think that's that that's my main strength really because you know there's better guitarists there's better songwriters there's better musicians than me but i think that sometimes every time i go into the studio and i and i'm sitting on a session i want to i want to say something because i want to make the thing better i want to make it work for people i want to communicate something to people so i know i can do that well and what's been the best singer that you i mean obviously it's a difficult one to say but is there one singer that you've worked with that you've thought my god this is the most amazing singer well, the the thing is, you know, there are people. You know, the first time you 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 were instrumental in actually getting me together with Jocelyn Brown, you know, and somebody like that coming in and blowing your mind. But you already knew that she had that pedigree. You already knew what she was capable, you know, capable of, you know, like what she could do. But um, by the way, one of the greatest ever moments, yeah. in, truly one yeah. of the greatest moments for me, was incognito at Dingwalls. Yeah. Jocelyn Brown doing somebody else's guy. Yeah. And then you had to do it again as an encore. That's right. That was just top 10 highlights of all time. <laughs> you remember that, right? I do remember it. I do remember it. Well, I do remember it. And I remember you saying to me at one of Southport, and there was a girl called Janice Hoyt who was singing at the time, and um, she, you, you said to me, you heard us do always there and you said you got to cut this tune and then you tried to get Shaka Khan to sing it but she weren't available then you found Jocelyn you know and it's like you know this that was a great you know that really gave us a, a, a strong strong direction and the whole house thing with Incognito happened because of that as well because of the Morales mix but in but going back to what you're saying as singers sometimes you find your muse as well Mesa is definitely you know coming into the band and you know that voice and my songwriting Incredible. Is really really works well yeah. you know her voice and my, and and my songs i think that even the stuff that she went on to do i think that i feel kind of proud that i've been able to kind of give her a direction and i feel proud that she came in and gave us a focus you know a focal point talking to singers i want to just bypass a couple of the tracks on your track list and i want to go straight to track six on here which I'm just pleased that you put it on the CD let's play it <laughs>
Going a little bit somewhere different. I mean, not the yeah. obvious tracks. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but but people were begging for this in Italy this week. Why didn't you put this in the set? I might have to put it back in the set. Is that right? Yeah, that's amazing. And let's play another track. This is um obviously a live thing, and um, this is from an LP, which um I don't even think I've got myself, which is an Incognito live album on Talking Loud. On Talking Loud. <laughs> but at the time, I couldn't get hold of you to say, can you can we do this album? And uh, I think you would have given us the go ahead, but the record company was a little bit weary. But um, the the people in Japan they wanted it because it was all it was all set up from the night before. There was a band there. They had the equipment left behind. That's the only way we managed to do this. They had left the equipment at the at the venue, and they said, "Look, rather than break it down, we'll kind of let you record it for cheap." You know, so we kind of all went to to the to the bank and and, and try to get our cash cards in and and pull the money in to kind of pay for it. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> mm. It's good to see the um, the lineup of the band on this. This is uh, the classic track Colibri, which was a, which was a bit of a crossover club track for you as well. Wasn't oh it? yeah, yeah. And and if if you don't play it at one of the gigs, you you'll get lynched. You know, I mean, it's like this. Like we wouldn't walk out alive. And the band, just looking back, Mesa on vocals. Um, you had Chris Balin on vocals as well. Yeah. Um, Imani 
on the Vox, Richard Bailey, ex Gonzalez yeah. on the drums, yeah. Randy Taylor. Randy Taylor, yeah. At the bass. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, who's that? Oh, so you can't hear it, you haven't got any headphones on. Um, Graham Harvey, he was always the, the, the MD, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, Graham was, yeah. Peter Hines is on there. I it's think you just heard uh, Thomas Diani doing his thing on the percussion right. of voice, yeah. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas Diani, um, Ed Jones. Yeah. Wow, amazing. You can't have made much money being in such a huge band, right? Because I mean, never have. <laughs> <laughs> but a, it was a, it's a big, big, big collective basically yeah. to, to to shout about and to shoot around the, the place. Oh yeah, it's uh, especially with you travelling in business class. Every year I get at least. <laughs> From, from the management or from the record company end you know it's like I always get like can you narrow down the band can you do a smaller version yeah you know it's like we because we would like work almost every day if we had a smaller version because like there's places just want to put us on you know but you know I'm staying true to this one to the end don't even bother asking me in future <laughs> it's going to get bigger if anything <laughs> um, I'm curious to ask you a couple of more questions because we were talking yeah. about Talking Loud just now and this album which came out in Japan um, through Talking Loud I mean it was a very dramatic period for me mm. of course the whole era of Talking Loud because I started oh, there when wow. I was 24 and yeah. it was there for 10 years later and it really was a, a period of time when major labels just didn't have subsidiaries like us so there was so much education so much battling to be done every day i was just talking to some people upstairs i remember when judge jules turned up at um at, at mercury records because he had a subsidiary that came up about six or seven years after mine called manifesto yeah. and i remember i'd been trying to sign this record by josh wink called higher state of consciousness yeah. and i remember that he turned up all kind of cocky and everything and the first record that he got from the bosses who signed the checks was higher state of consciousness I remember <laughs> how, how annoyed I was at the yeah. time and, and this kind of reminded yeah. me of the sort of the constant battles that we, we we'd have yeah. and I mean obviously you know we were all together on this and you understood the period and the difficulties that I was having and we made it work right yeah we did sometimes sometimes we you know you, you had to kind of I had to learn you know you had to teach me and then sometimes I had to kind of teach you about what I was trying to do so we, we learned from each other yeah yeah I mean it was kind of mad times and what was the what was the one album that you kind of enjoyed doing the most um, at Talking Loud that you fought from beginning to end it was like beneath the surface yeah because it was a uh, it was one where I was just really into my writing at that point and uh, and you you kind of like you never kind of put any any barriers on me at all you know it was you know we'd done the house thing you know i and we 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 we'd worked with you know you'd you'd be you had a real heavy input in there and you kind of like let me just get on with a with a record but the way that you kind of supported me in that record was like in in a way that i i'd always wanted to be support supported you said go to america and we did strings you know like we had people like Ronnie Cuba, you know, like coming on 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 baritone sax. I was working, you know, I was, you know, you, you even you you suggested to me to go to 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 the Colom door to go and uh, <laughs> uh, to go and write, you know, right. it'd be a good place, you know. Did I pay you, for it? You did, yeah. Did I? Yeah, <laughs> oh God, you there did. Was, there was money. I didn't have my, any money. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do that now. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. So. Interesting times. Yeah. Interesting times. Um, 
I remember um, 100 Degrees and Rising being a... I just remember that time, that album being quite a, an enjoyable album to make. But I mean... There was that, was, that was amazing because that's the first time... Actually, if if it was a recording experience, mm. an actual recording experience that cannot be beaten for me, yeah. was going down to Abbey Road to record strings on, on, a, on that 100 Degrees and Rising album yeah. for the first time. Yeah. You know, in the studio with strings for me, it was like and with Simon Hale. You know, it's like amazing. <laughs> okay, I don't know where to go on your list here. Where do you feel we should go? There's, uh, we've got the, the, we've got the Eugene McDaniel's track, which I'm quite keen to hear. You go on then. Should we play that one? <laughs> yeah. Um, what is it for? Or yeah, it's for number four. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go.
I never checked this track on the album. I just listen. I play, I play Cherry Stones or the, the other. There's other. There's like two or three songs that I always play. But this is brilliant. This is the, this is the killer for me. This is the one that speaks to me the most of all his stuff. I mean, he's a deep cat. I mean, he's he's but. This 1971 man, listen to the sound of it. I want my record to sound like this now. Eugene McDaniel's Loving Man, Headless Heroes of the Apocalypse. Did you discover this at the time, or was this something that you kind of? I discovered Eugene McDaniel's for you, for you, and I and then I I I discovered and and this track I'd missed out on too. I found this track on iTunes. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe it's not on the album. I mean, no, it is. Is it? It is. Wow. It is. Yeah, but I mean, making music sound like this—is it possible in 2009 with 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 technology and stuff? You know, can you even at the most classic of studios with mm. the best equipment? Mm. Is the whole is there something just missing now somehow? The way the nah, electric power listen, has man. changed, or you know, it's like it should be. It should be like this. We, you know, it's like. Back, you know, I used to think to myself, "What? How did Stevie Wonder and people like that create music like this?" Mm. Yeah, there was, uh, there was, there was the Vietnam War going on, you know. It's like that. Marvin Gaye took that in and put that in in what's going on, you know. There was all these. We have wars going on now. We have crisis going on all over the world. We have, uh, we, you know, we have the same intensity with relationship. The problem is that nowadays, you know, we are, we, there is something forcing us to go commercial there is something forcing us to kind of to kind of water down what we do what that wasn't that was there was nothing pushing the artists but in a way i know. think now you can actually reverse that and yeah actually, yeah because, of course because there was the, watch this space my next album well yeah i mean it's yeah. got to be like that but, but yeah. i think i get the feeling with other musicians that in a way you know on one hand what's selling well pure out and out pop music is selling mm which is just commercialised music but but the other side of the coin actually people want it to be pretty deep don't they in a way and yeah exactly exactly you know what I mean it's like there's still people make I mean there is the equivalent to now I mean I listen to Little Dragon and I'm thinking to myself this does exist it's just a different sound it's, yeah. it's now you know it's like yeah. somebody is actually saying something and they've got a great sound you know it's not just replicating the sound of back then I'm likely to do that because I am from back then. Yeah. You know, I'm 52 years old. You know, what am I going to do? Mm. You know, it's like I'm not just going to look for the new thing. Mm. I'm going to play a part of what's in me. Yeah. You know, but I think it's just if, saying. If you could go to any studio in the world and with all your experience yeah. and have um, any engineer in the world yeah. and any band in the world, <laughs> right? And to, to make that yeah. ultimate record that sounds, you know, uh, sort of as organic as Eugene McDaniels and all yeah. the best records in the world. Yeah. I mean, I think it's doable yeah. if you could imagine having the amount of time. Because, I mean, yeah. even when D'Angelo made his albums, they spent yeah. weeks in the studio. Oh, months, years. Months, <laughs> you know, and, and, and as a result, it was kind of, yeah. um, it ended up sounding, you know, special. It, it, Head it sound. Um, so, yeah, what would be your studio and your engineer, and who would master it? Oh my god, <laughs> engineer would have to be my man who done all the uh, CTI. Um, Creed Taylor. No, no, no. The engineer oh, is Rudy uh, Van Gelder. Rudy Van Gelder. Right. Uh, you know, he used to hide Tommy Lupino when I worked with on George Benson's album. He told me, you know, Rudy would hide his settings on the desk. He'd have a plastic kind of like cover that you know he put his hands underneath, and then he would kind of tweak it but not let you see what he was doing yeah, yeah <laughs> so, I, I can believe that yeah. I can believe that so he, he would be the one and um, you know I still think one of the best guys for cutting was like Clear Mountain you know but Clear Mountain is really good 
cutting man and if you could yeah. have any musicians would you just stick with what you've got or i mean you know in a way imagine you couldn't have your yeah. your, your band that you've currently yeah. got and that you could have a kind of all-time <laughs> band you know who would be playing bass for you uh, e, uh, uh motown boy my, my head's gone great um uh what's his name junior oh Oh, what's the mo- oh man, my head's gone. What's his name on Motown? So's mine. No, the, oh, the Motown <laughs> bass player. I've forgotten his name. You guys are going to kill me for this. What a bass player. Cleveland uh, Eaton or something. No, no, no. Yeah. I've forgotten his name. He, he passed away. Um, and kind of Jacko kind of took over from what he kind of like. He did. Um, um, Drums. Um, um, uh, Idris Mohamed. Idris Mohamed. Yeah. Okay. And uh, have you got sort of percussionists? And stuff uh, like percussionists. Uh, Ralph McDonald. Ralph McDonald, yeah. as opposed to Paulino da Costa. No, Ralph McDonald. Definitely. He knows how to play soul music. And like, Steve yeah, Gadd yeah. on the drums. Um, well, we said Idris. Yeah, I mean, so I think Idris around that whole seventies period for me. Idris is the when he's, Idris is playing funk. Horn section. Like, horn section. Uh, uh, Earth and Fire. Earth and Fire. Yeah, early, uh, early days, or or really early, calling the gang, called Carlos mm. Bayan. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and yeah. and some of the boys from Band of Black Rio as well. <laughs> you know, those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Have you thought about the bass player yet? No. Yeah. Um, singers. Oh man. <laughs> oh god, his name's gone out. Uh, have you seen that film Soul Power yet? No. There's that documentary, I should give it to you. It's the documentary of, um, it was basically the concert that was taking place around the same time as Rumble in the Jungle, um, which was the Muhammad Ali George Foreman fight mm. in Zaire. Mm. And around that fight, they also arranged a concert. And um, there's a documentary of that concert. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's got, um, it's got the Fine Year All Stars in it, it's got James, James Brown, Brown in yeah, it. James Brown, yeah, yeah. I've got, seen clips. So it's got Bill that. Withers in it. All oh, right. Oh man, Bill Withers, oh. underrated. I was going to put that on the, on, on on the uh, on on this list as well. You know, there's some stuff. Yeah, I've been get. I've got all the Bill Withers now. I've gone. I'm, I've searched it out. I've got everything now. Is he still around? Yeah. What happened to Bill Withers? I'd love is. to see him perform. Just him, him and a yeah. guitar. Yeah, I mean that live album at the Carnegie Hall. Double. I mean, yeah. Phew, Grandma's oh. rocking chair and that is a band. I mean, I'll, I'll take that band any day. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's play a couple more. We haven't got much time, but let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's play this one. I just feel like it. Junkie walking through the twilight. On my way home I left three days ago But no one seems to know I'm gone Home is where the hatred is Home is filled with pain And it may not be such a bad idea If I never, never went home you can and ask me why hang on to your rosary beads close your eyes watch me die you keep saying kick it quit it lord but did you ever try Thank you. 
say thank you very much for the last 30 years and uh, I want to honestly I, I love you so much and you've had such an inspiration for me um, in all I've done more than anybody I, just the mere fact that you know what as well about you is the fact that you always worked hard and I really looked up to that because when we were basically learning our craft in the music industry it's very easy just to kind of get stoned have fun do our thing but Unless you work which we hard. did, <laughs> which we did, of course. But you were always working hard in the studio, and I was thinking, you know, there was times when, you know, when when you can easily just kind of go, okay, let's go back tomorrow, or we'll work overnight, and we'll make sure we get it nailed. And you always did that, and uh, and that, and that's, you know, I, I respect. I mean, you got this gig coming up. Um, when's the date? Twenty second of August at the the O2 Indigo brilliant it's already almost sold out isn't it so yeah almost it's not like you need any help with it but um yeah. but basically have a great sure. gig there um i want to i want to we we did, we did speak recently about um doing um getting the well, it'd be difficult because tubs isn't with uh, with us anymore sadly yeah, but sadly. to try and get um a kind of uh a jazz funk incognito, just a one-off little night would be great just yeah. replay the album but yeah yeah but well, we'll you know in t i think once i get this out of the way who knows? Maybe next year we'll do it, you know? Or we'll do something close to it. Yeah. Thank you so much. We're going to finish off. With, I found. Oh, who was the bass player? James Jameson. Yeah. I got a feeling it was on that Esther Phillips track. It sounded like him. <laughs> Take care, man. Hey, thank you. Bill Withers. Grandma's hands. Let's go. Grandma's hands clapped in church on Sunday morning. Grandma's hands 
Played a tambourine so well, whoa. Grandma's hand used to issue out a warning. She'd say, Billy, don't you run so fast. Might fall on a piece of glass. Might be snakes there in that grass. Grandma's hand. Grandma's hand soothed the local unwed mother. Grandma's hand used to ache sometimes and swell. Grandma's hands used to lift her face and tell her she'd see. Baby, Grandma understands that you really love that man. Put yourself in Jesus' hand, Grandma's hand. Grandma's hands used to hand me a piece of candy. Grandma's hands picked me up each time I fell. Grandma's hands, boy, they really came in a handy sheet. See, Matty, don't you whip that boy. What you wanna spank him for? He didn't drop no apple core, but I don't have Grandma anymore. If I get to heaven, I'll look for Grandma's hands. 